Hey, it's Scott Walker. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Fighters. Boy, the big news this week, of course, is the leak. The leak about the draft of the decision from the Supreme Court of the United States. I got to tell you my reaction to it. And we heard Chief Justice Roberts confirm as part of his outrage about the leak, which we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, confirm that this indeed was an authentic draft being circulated. Obviously, we don't know for certain who has signed on to that, but I think most court observers uh, presume uh, that the uh, more conservative justices will be aligned with Alito on this. Probably, I think he might have been down the path of um, doing, maybe not signing on to it, but doing concurring opinion, and then the three more liberal or less originalist members of the court being in dissent. Uh, although it's interesting, just as an aside, if you go back just to the premise of Roe v. Wade, even Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the court, obviously revered by those in the left, had in the past commented about thinking the structure of Roe v. Wade being wrong. But I got to tell you, the larger context, this moves the fight for those of us who are pro-life from the court of law, if this is the ultimate decision handed down by the members of the Supreme Court, it goes from the court of law to the court of public opinion. Uh, but it certainly is for me and for many others across this nation an answer to our prayers. Uh, I remember getting involved with Marquette Students for Life uh, probably about a decade and a half after the Roe v. Wade decision. You think about this now, nearly a half a century later. And for all the talk in the media, all the hype and all the hysteria, uh, to be clear, this does not say that abortion is illegal. All this decision ultimately ends up doing is moving the decision back to the states where it was all throughout the history of our nation up until the court decision in 1973. And a lot of folks, a lot of legal experts, I'm not a lawyer, a lot of legal experts far smarter than I have opined on this, not just recently, but over the years with raising the question of where in the Constitution, it doesn't say abortion, it doesn't say privacy. They tried to carve this out of the 14th uh, Amendment there's just a lot of questions out there, but I think it's pretty clear this is a decision uh, that should be left up, not just to the states, but ultimately to elected officials. The states right now, if this decision is handed down the way it seems to be in the draft form, would ultimately be able to regulate this unless uh, members of the Congress and the president took action to, as some have talked about, to codify what was in a Roe v. Wade, which would, again, taking this you know, there are just so many issues to talk about here. The fact that the media has left the perception for many, at least, that somehow this reverses everything and now abortion is illegal. It's not. Although those of us who are pro-life are trying to make the case law or not, we need to change the hearts and minds of Americans to make people understand what abortion is and why it, it shouldn't happen. Certainly the force of law would help in that. But, but more importantly, we need to reach out and make the case to, to stop the lie. Uh, for so many years, we've heard so many stories of people, uh, either people had abortions or considered abortions or just people who've been on the sidelines watching who, I was just with actually one of our staff members the other day as we were traveling and she said, you know, she said when she was younger, she didn't have abortion, but she said when she was younger, she just kind of thought, oh, you know, I wouldn't do it, but who am I to talk about this? And, you know, what is it really? It, I think, though, the more people learn, the more we shine the light. You know, the, there's plenty of references uh, in the Bible to this. And, uh, you know, actually one of the great quotes of all time comes from the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who said, you know, darkness doesn't drive out darkness, only light does that. Hatred doesn't drive out hatred, only love does. And so when it comes to this issue, 
we need to shine the light. And as part of that, we need to, to share the love to know that, that we love our, our fellow uh, citizen, that, that uh, we're going to support people and back them up. But we need to shine the light on this. At a time where, particularly the last two years during COVID, we talked a lot about the science, the science, the science. And there's been a lot of dispute about what the science means in the case of COVID. But the science is very clear. Uh, an unborn child, and that's what Joe Biden correctly uh, identified uh, the person we're talking about. He said a child, not a fetus, not a blob. And I remember over the years hearing back, even when I was a young person, some people talking about how, oh, this is just a clump of cells or this is like an organ. It's not. Uh, a clump of cells, an organ can't, can't live on its own. Um, this is a human being. This has been clearly defined as part of science. This is a human being. This isn't something else. Some people say, oh, well, is it viable? Well, I was watching actually one of my friends, Kristen Hawkins, in a, give a lecture and do a Q&A, and she was a good tactic that many should use is not just making her case, but asking questions back to the person who was challenging her on, the, on this issue. And one of the questions or one of the statements someone made, well, uh, you know, uh, when she said uh, to the student, when, when should uh, a, a baby be defended? When should an unborn baby or when should a, a, a living being be defended? And she said, well, when it's viable, when it can live on its own. And she said, well, babies, born babies can't live on their own. Um, they need somebody else to help them out. I mean, that's what parents do. That's what grandparents do. That's what that, that just the instinct to care for those newborns. Um, just yesterday, we celebrated the seventh uh, uh, month, uh, not birthday, but the celebration of seven months since the birth of our grandnephew, Levi, this beautiful little baby. In fact, it was kind of funny. His, uh, his mother, our niece, Isabella, had a uh, head on him. Of course, it was uh, May 4th, so it was May the 4th Be With You, uh, a little play on uh, Star Wars and May the 4th Be With You. But I posted some great pictures. Uh, Tonette and I, we just, like we'll do with our grandparents someday, spoil them with all sorts of goodies, including some outfits, and our family are goofs. We like a lot of Star Wars stuff, so we gave him a little Baby Yoda outfit. And uh, she put it on. You know, it was a little outfit, zipper up top, hooded top, and the hood had little ears on that made him look like Yoda, a little green uh, outfit on there. She put it on, and, and uh, she and my sister-in-law and brother took some pictures. And I just think about it. It was seven months since he was born, this beautiful baby. You know, my, my niece, in fact, in June, will be graduating from high school. Uh, I know a year plus ago when she first found out she was pregnant, passed it on, eventually my brother called me. I remember that day vividly. And, and yeah, of course, first I was surprised. Uh, I'd, I'd known the young man she dated, nice young man. He'd spent a lot of time around us, certainly a lot of time around my brother and his family, but d didn't even come on my radar uh, thinking about this, and, and my brother said, "Oh, you're going to be a, you're going to uh, be a great uncle." I said, "Well, I already am. I have a, a 12-year-old grandnephew down in Phoenix, Jonas, who I love dearly, and it's a lot of fun to be with." He said, "Well, you're going to be it again," and and it took me by surprise. But then, thankfully, my reaction was, I hope, what most people would be is, "This is awesome!" And so I immediately sent her a text. Tried to call, sent her a text. She was at work that that Saturday morning and said, hey, your Aunt Antoinette and I are 100% behind you. We love you. We support you. Whatever you need along the way. And 
you know, she got incredible support from the rest of her family and from Levi, uh, Daddy Levi. Uh, uh, Levi's named after his dad, but uh, Daddy Levi's family as well. And it is beautiful, just this joy, this blessing, this wonderful child that's a part of now each of these families and extended family out there. And I, she's just such a hero, a heroine to me. Um, that you know, she made that decision. She she knew from the very get go uh, that she wanted to keep this child. I think about someone else on my staff who, about the same time, you know, had been for years. Her and her husband had been trying to have a, a child of their own and weren't able to. And and a, a, not long after that, they got word in January of this year that um, through the adoption process, for which they'd spent a lot of time and resources, they. They got a chance to fly to a different city where there was a, a little baby boy, a beautiful baby boy that was ready and waiting for them. Um, they were there for the birth. They connected with the birth mother. They made all these great connections. I was pleased we had just changed and updated our policies at Young America's Foundation. So she was able to uh, use our, our full 12-week um, maternity leave and, and just spend that time bonding with this beautiful beautiful child uh, actually during that leave actually had a little baby shower and had all sorts of folks from our staff coming in and I got a chance to hold them and and again those two are just great reminders as it was for Tuna and I many years ago you know we were at our first date we're just thinking about it 30 years ago this week uh, we got married the next year the year after we had our son Matthew the year after we had our son Alex uh, Tonette and I still have each of those, uh, uh, the first, as we call them, the first baby pictures, the ultrasounds. <clears throat> and I can remember particularly with Matthew, he was uh, turned on his side, his hand was fully out. You could see the four digits of his fingers and then his thumb was projected out and you could see his thumb in this ultrasound was clearly inside of his mouth because you could not only see where it was in, in terms of the ultrasound and ultrasounds today, when I when I saw little Levi's you know, now it's on your phone, it's 3D, it's unbelievable. Back then it was just amazing, but it's a fraction of the technology we have today. But, but even back then, with just that silhouette of his head, of his hands, uh, the rest of his body, but you could see on the ultrasound the thumb going back and forth. He was, even inside Tonette's womb, even inside his mother's womb, he was sucking his thumb. This wasn't some organ. This wasn't, you know, some clump of cells. This is a baby. This is a baby. This is a child. And so uh, one of the really important things for those of us like Tonette and I and our family who consider ourselves pro-life, who've long since advocated for that, certainly Roe v. Wade being overturned is an answer to our prayers. But now we go from the court of law to the court of public opinion. And I think that's a battle we can win. Some people, oh, you know, this is going to be tough for conservatives yeah, it won't be easy. There's a lot of folks, particularly at the state level, whether it's state lawmakers, governors, and others who maybe have checked off on a survey all the right answers being pro-life, but they, they haven't really talked about it. They haven't really talked about it. The, the one thing I keep stressing to people in Wisconsin and my home state and across the country is you got, you got to share it not only from the head, the logic, the legal argument, the science of, of why an unborn baby is a living, breathing human being with a beating heart. You know, when you when someone is involved in an abortion, you're actually stopping a beating heart. And that's the definition of death. You know, if uh, uh, when my father passed away and went to be with the Lord four years ago, you know, one of the things they do is, they, you know, time of death is when his heart stopped. And uh, abortion 
stops a beating heart out there. But, but we can't just talk about the logic, not just about the science, not just about the facts. That's got to be a part of the equation for sure. But we've got to share it in real emotional terms. It's got to come from the heart. You know, talking about things like those first ultrasounds, talking about those great and remarkable stories of the family who adopted a child or someone in a less than perfect scenario who ends up finding they're pregnant, but then realizes later by making that choice for life, what a blessing, what a, what an unbelievable opportunity, what an enhancement and improvement for their life that, that somehow having a child's not a curse. But that's part of the lie. So many have been told that, oh, you know, if it doesn't come at just the perfect time, well, children never come at the perfect time, but they're always a much greater blessing than you think. I remember years ago, one of my staff was pregnant when I was a state lawmaker and our kids were already had been born and weren't very old, but a few years older. Um, she asked me, she said, what's, you know, what's your favorite age? And I thought about it and I said, you know, to me, it's whatever age they are. I found that, you know, you're just blown away when that baby looks up at you for the very first time at Tonette and I, and you're just overwhelmed. And there's this feeling like you've never had before this love, like you never even imagined you could have. And then it only gets stronger. You know, and then you go through, yeah, even with the short night's sleep and all the craziness and the feeding and this and that. Our firstborn, Matthew, was colicky for the first uh, three months or so, and we would do everything. We'd drive around in the car. We'd put him in his car seat and set him on the dryer to bounce around. I'd walk up and down the steps in our duplex back then. But you just realize it's all worth it because then this baby... Uh, not just like Kim and Alex, but then little Levi we look at lately just gives you that look and you just melt and you know that everything's going to be fine. And uh, even with challenges, even with frustrations, even with sleep deprivation, uh, but every step along the way, it's just been fun to watch them grow, you know, to go from diapers to pull-ups to remember that first time going to McDonald's with the kids when I didn't have to have a pull-ups for either one of them you know, to T-ball, to Little League, to all sorts of fun things. And now, you know, when they went off to college and now they're in the workforce and they're looking ahead to their own lives and their own futures. And, you know, we pray that uh, things will work out for them, not only to have great spouses, but ultimately someday maybe to, to bring into our lives grandchildren of our own. It's just such a remarkable thing. And, and this, this lie that people are told that somehow, well, abortion's the only way to... Uh, to, to make things right, that, that, that somehow you need to only do this under your timeline in the perfect scenario. No, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's always going to come at a time where there's challenges. But, you know, God gives you this unbelievable opportunity, this unlimited uh, source of love to share with a, a child. And, and oh, by the way, I, I write about this week in the Washington Times. Uh, I was thinking about this. Vicki Thorne is someone I got to know when I was at Marquette Students for Life. Uh, just last month, um, she, uh, uh, she passed away, had a heart attack, and is with the Lord now. Uh, I think she would have been amazed. She would have been just filled overwhelmingly with joy of this news, at least this initial news, because she spent her life not only working to defend innocent life, but in particular, she had this remarkable passion. Um, she founded a group back in 1984 called Project Rachel. At the time, it was part of her work in the Archdiocese in Milwaukee. It's now expanded across the country. But it was this project to work with women and men uh, who'd been involved with an abortion. And uh, she just, uh, in, 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 and I've 
heard from her and others who work on this and read and just seen, um, you know, again, the lie that, that, that both physically and mentally, this lie that somehow abortion is a quick and easy fix to a perceived problem. And set aside even the more religious issues with that, which I just touched on, the fact is that there are, you know, there are significant physical complications, um, a significant percentage, uh, you know, one in 10 often have very significant complications and they can be all sorts of things. I mean, there's, they've identified over a hundred potential complications from, um, you know, everything from, uh, fevers to abdominal pain, to infections, to bleeding, uh, to you name it. But there's also long-term damage. They've talked about, uh, uh, those who become sterile or had premature births is just a few examples. They've talked about studies that mentioned that uh, one study in particular, just eight weeks after an abortion, found that 44% of the patients complained of nervous disorders. 36% experienced sleep disturbances. 31% actually had regrets about their decision that they identified in the survey. And uh, I mean, there's just, they found another study found that. Uh, women who had abortions are significantly more likely than others to require admission to psychiatric hospitals. They're higher risk, particularly for those who have had abortions if they were teenagers or separated or divorced or had more than one abortion. Um, another study found that 85% were surprised at the intensity of their emotional reaction to the abortion. Again, if you're told this is simple, others will say it's, it's simple, it doesn't, and then all of a sudden you find and it makes sense, again, from a scientific standpoint, because there's all these sorts of things that happen. I remember seeing it with both, uh, uh, when Tonette was pregnant with both Matt and Alex, I've seen it with other family members and friends, that physically your body changes for those who are, who are expectant. That, that, that there's, I mean, right soon after conception, there's a hormone called the early pregnancy factor, EPF. It's actually in the bloodstream of a pregnant woman. It alerts the rest of the body that let the body know that, hey, this woman's pregnant. And, you know, sometimes you see it in obvious forms. That's often what causes, Tonette certainly had this, people say, well, they have certain cravings for certain types of food, or they might feel that they need more rest than they normally do. There's, there's other changes, even things that kind of awaken people in terms of that you start noticing things more. You notice things about babies on TV and other things change. There's other parts of the body that change as well as throughout a pregnancy. And then with an abortion, that's an unnatural end. That's a, a stop that the body's not prepared for. And so not only does it cause physical uh, jarring, a sense, a trauma, if you will, but you can understand if your body is not only getting ready uh, mentally, or excuse me, physically, but mentally, emotionally, it has an impact as well. And so uh, I say that just in light of this, um, as we go ahead, it's become clear the last few days of this week as the announcement came in, there's, there's amazing images on, on TV and on social media. Uh, we've seen it uh, in the reactions, uh, both in things that t people have tweeted, but particularly the coverage, the video images I've seen of just the anger and the outrage that I've seen from some in terms of this decision. Now, some of it's uh, because they don't fully understand, because the media has done a lousy job of explaining exactly what this does. But, but for those that do understand and reacted this way, I have to believe not all, but many of them, have probably either they themselves or someone in their family or circle friends have gone through an abortion. And so some of these, uh, some of this trauma that the folks at Project Rachel in the past have talked about, sometimes it comes out immediately. Sometimes 
I remember one of the stories was someone they counseled who was 75, who had an abortion 50 years before, and uh, nearly 50 years before that, and, and was just now dealing uh, with the grief uh, related to that. And so for those who are as a pro-life, for those of you listening in, I, I would say, yes, we need to continue to stand up and, and make the case, to make the case based on facts, the science, the technology, all the things that show that this is an innocent uh, life that's deserving of our protection. But we need to respond not in kind with the same intensity and anger that we've seen on the other side, or at least from some, we need to respond with love and compassion to understand just the challenges that are, people are going through. And I think in particular, we need to make sure we tell our stories. One of the ones I remember years ago telling when we were debating a piece of legislation, a piece of pro-life legislation that I and others were involved with leading in the Wisconsin State Assembly at the time, it was about a, a bill that, in this case, is a very narrow bill that allowed uh, a prosecutor to charge two crimes. If we had a, a tragic situation where someone had attacked a, a, a woman who was pregnant, uh, the baby was lost as part of the attacks, and the prosecutor could only issue charges, one set of charges. And so we, we changed the law so that uh, you could charge both uh, injury or, uh, worst case, death, uh, related to both the, the, the mother and to the child. And I remember the pushback from some uh, opponents was, well, you know, there are plenty of penalties. You don't need a separate one here. And, and I got up, and, and this was after our son Matt was born, but while Tonette was pregnant with our son Alex. And I looked across the assembly chambers and simply said this. You know, we had been driving in our minivan, and someone got uncomfortably close and thankfully thank god literally didn't hit us but got close coming down the way and i said in that scenario imagine if instead of in, instead of getting close to hitting our minivan if someone say a drunk driver had had rammed into the side of our car where Tonette was sitting on the passenger side and in doing so had had in this hypothetical had actually uh, seriously injured her but in doing so that serious injury caused uh, the loss of that unborn child. Again, this is hypothetical, thankfully, but, but I said, imagine that. And forget about the law for a minute. I said, all these people knew me. They'd heard me talk about Matthew or our newborn. They'd heard me talk about our wife, Tonette. Many of them, not all, but many of them I'd worked with at the time, uh, knew our family, had met Tonette, interacted. And um, I said, just as people who know me, who work with me, some of you are close friends with me, um, for our family, if there was in that hypothetical uh, where someone crashed into that minivan, not only injured um, in the hypothetical of my wife, uh, but in doing so would have killed her unborn child, as just as a human being, would you send us a get well card or would you send us a sympathy card? Because I think most decent human beings, no matter where they stand politically, would have sent our family in that hypothetical a sympathy card. Because if that example I gave had actually occurred, like anyone else in society, we would have been grieving the loss of an unborn child. We would have been grieving a loss of someone who was a part of our family. If you think about that in those terms, it's hard to defend 
taking the life of an unborn child, when you realize in that example I gave, you have to acknowledge it doesn't change whether someone claims they wanted the baby or didn't want the baby. The baby is still a baby. It's still a human being. And even if that person or that family didn't want that child at that time, one, oftentimes after you have a baby, uh, that family decides, oh, wait, you know, everything's changed. And even for those that don't, that realize they just, for whatever reasons, uh, can't handle that situation, can't handle parenthood at that time. There are people like the person on my staff who spent years preparing and knowing that God had a baby for them, even if it wasn't the way that they originally thought. There are plenty of people out there that are ready to stand in and step up to that call. And it's by the grace of God, they're able to do that. And so I just encourage folks in the coming days as we debate, as I say, as the debate here goes from the court of law to the court of public opinion, uh, that we continue to fight and defend innocent life to make that case, to tell our stories. But let's make sure we also do it with a sense of love and compassion. Knowing there's a lot of people, particularly over the last nearly 50 years, who've been sold a bill of goods and have a lot of pain and grief related to that. And we need to not respond in the same way they've been treated, but rather to treat them with love and compassion and show that for both the mother and that unborn child. Until next time, I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us. Keep fighting for freedom. (music) 